Welcome to worship this morning. We're so glad that you have joined us here for worship at Central Baptist Church. Uh, whether this is your first time here with us or whether you've called this place home for many years, we want you to know that uh, you're welcome here and that your presence is a blessing to us this morning. You will find in the pews beside you friendship pads. Um, we invite you to take those out and fill that out with any information that you'd like to provide and pass that down the row so we can get to know each other a little bit better, maybe greet each other by name uh, a little later on during the passing of the piece. Um, earlier this week, I was at knitting class, and uh, I am not an accomplished knitter. I got there a little late, though. I was a little flustered because... Um, as I went to let my dog back in before I, I left, left the house, he did not show up. Uh, and, uh, and I was, Murph, where are you? And then I remembered that um, I'd had somebody come look at the roof that day, and he had forgot to close the gate. So I'm running around and trying to find this and cannot track Murphy down until I'm about to leave and drive down the road to see if I can find him because I've got to get to knitting class, you know? And... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and I, I notice a, a murph-colored blur down the, down the road. So I'm running down the road, and I catch him. Murphy is, um, doesn't hear well or at all anymore um, and, uh, and does, isn't very active anymore. But he had made some friends who were barking extraordinarily loudly at him, and I don't think he knew that wasn't taking the hint that we don't like you. Um, so I managed to coax him back into the house. And knitting... Um, it's supposed to be relaxing, and I can, I can tell you that, that sometimes it is and sometimes it's not, depending on how good you are at it. I've even heard stories of knitting needles flying across rooms before, um, but I won't say who that was uh, that said that. Uh, but I tell you what makes a difference is who you knit with. And uh, whenever you can come to a place and you can bring something that you have called knitting that other people may not call knitting uh, but you can find some grace and you can find some help and you can say I don't know what I've done uh, and find some encouragement that's an amazing place to be so I came in kind of in a huff and in a tizzy and I left in a much better place not necessarily because of the knitting but because of the good company so I hope that this morning uh, that you will continue to find that good company uh, with one another and with God who welcomes all of us here to this place, just as we are. No matter how messy our stitches may be, no matter how crazy and messed up they may, they may be, God always waiting and watching to welcome us in again and to bring some beauty out of our mess. So welcome to worship this morning. Let's worship together.
Good morning. Won't you stand as you are able and join me in the call to worship, please? Hot and weary, thirsty and hungry, seeking our true resting place, as children seeking refuge, we cry to you, O God, afraid and alone. Longing for a home. Lo, as you part the river's waters. Walking across on smooth paths. Secure in the home you have prepared for us.
if you'll pray with me. God, thank you for this day and this opportunity to come together to worship you. Help us to remember this Lenten season to be grateful for the many gifts you have provided. Help us to remember that we are enough, that you are enough. Help us to walk through this world without fear, recognizing that you are with us always and we love you best when we love each other. Help us find joy each day and be your arms in this world and to remember that we live in community. In your name we pray, amen. I'll go ahead and confess that I'm the one who told the story about throwing the knitting needles against the wall. <laughs> that happened in graduate school. So, <laughs> uh, This morning, our reading is from 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For the word of God that works its way into us, thanks be to God. During the season of Lent, we've been engaging in a practice that we do quite often in our early service in the morning, where we uh, will take just a few moments to be still, to be quiet. We'll read a call to prayer together that you'll find printed in your bulletins, and then uh, we'll have a few moments of quiet reflection, and I'll play quietly on the guitar. 
At that point in time, you're welcome to come forward to light a candle if you'd like to at one of the tables to either side um, or to sit and to pray quietly, maybe to pay attention to your breath, maybe to uh, focus on one of the quotes that you'll find printed in your bulletin, maybe just to be in the presence of God this morning. Uh, but you'll have the opportunity to do that for a little while. And then at the end, um, I'll invite you to sing with me uh, words to a short song that you'll find uh, printed in your bulletin as, as well. There is enough. So as we begin this morning, I'll invite you to read responsively with me our call to prayer. Listen to God's whisper unraveling our fears. Listen to God's whisper, unraveling our sin. Listen to God's whisper, unraveling our pain. Listen to God's whisper, unraveling our shame. Listen to God's whisper, unraveling. Hear our prayers, Lord.
we are grateful that you are with us, that you are present here with us, that you are present with us as we leave and go beyond these walls. Give us eyes to see your abundance, to see your grace and your presence in the eyes of those we meet, to recognize the spark of the divine that is hidden within us and with all humanity.
And dear God, even when we don't have the words to pray, we can't even articulate what our pain feels like, what it's like to be us in those moments. What an amazing comfort it is to know that you know and that you understand and that you are there and that you are present with us even in the lowest moments of our despair and our grief and our fear, that we have a God that is acquainted with grief and sorrow and loves us all the more in our pain. So this morning, dear God, we thank you for that. These offerings that we give, we give in the name of he who suffered also, the one who gave his all and who knows what it was like to be in pain. And it's in his name I pray. Please be seated.
As you are able, I invite you now to stand with me to hear the gospel lesson today found in the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I will be picking up in the middle of Jesus' well-known parable called the Prodigal Son as I begin reading in verse 17 of chapter 15 of the Gospel of Luke. Hear now the good news. But when he, the prodigal, came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? And here I am dying of hunger. I will get up, I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired servants. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, what was going on? He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he got him back and he's safe and sound. Then he, the older brother, became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command, yet I have never been given to me even as much as a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back who had devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we have to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. The gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You may be seated. When I started to serve Central Baptist Church now almost 14 years ago, I was still living in Midway and had served Midway Baptist Church for the previous 11 years. And so I was commuting back and forth, living in Midway with my boys still in public school and serving this church. And after being here about a month or so, I ran into one of the members at Midway Baptist Church who 
in that length of time had not secured an interim to be their preacher and had contracted with different individuals who obviously were not in communication with themselves and as Baptists are likened to do, had not given the preachers a whole lot of direction on what they were doing at the church. So I asked this church member, well, how things are going at Midway Baptist Church? And he said, well, we've heard four sermons in a row on the prodigal son. And if you've been around church for very long, or particularly if you've been in the Baptist church for much time at all, you could probably preach the sermon on the prodigal son. For you are well familiar with that wayward boy out in the far country. And this vivid picture you can paint, seeing the, the slime and the dirt on his face, Noticing the fleas that are crawling across his unkept hair. Sleeping with the pods and the pigs. Smelling the stench of the sty when he finally comes back to himself. And in desperation says, I will go back home. And then the scene shifts to the arthritic father with poor eyesight. Noticing out there on the distant horizon that familiar gait of his beloved child. In his walk of shame coming back. And the father with nimble, somewhat heart but not so nimble knees. Hiking up his robe and taking off in the title of one sermon, running like a woman. To welcome his dear old boy back home. And then the crescendo. This is God's response to you who are lost. If only you will come back home. And then we stand and sing softly and tenderly. We speak the benediction. We pass the fried chicken and the potato salad. And we rinse and repeat and start the same cycle again next Sunday. Well, if I can have your permission, I would ask just for a moment that we think a little differently about the story of the prodigal son. That we might suspend our familiar interpretation with a new way of thinking about this very normal human story full of normal human social dynamics in a very normal and human way. For example, what if we read this story from the contemporary lens of family systems theory? You would quickly notice the dynamics of a dysfunctional family at work. Now, let me first say there is no such thing as a perfect family. To use the phrase dysfunctional family is really a redundancy. 
Some families may be a little bit healthier than others, but all families, newsflash, are made up of humans. And all humans struggle, and hence all families struggle. If there is not some healthy tension in your family dynamics, then perhaps you, not, you are not as strong as a family as you might believe you are. Comedian George Carlin said, the other night I ate at a really nice family restaurant. Every table had an argument going on. So how is the prodigal family dysfunctional? Well, first I would notice that the father according to the language of family systems theory, has been triangled by his two sons. This happens when two parties are in conflict but refuse to deal directly with one another and instead convince or conjole a third party to either add the weight of their support to their side of the conflict or to act as a mediator to negotiate the relationships that they really don't want to deal with, but are incapable of avoiding. You can see this tension throughout the parable. Referring to the patriarch as his father in the setup in verse 11, and in verse 27, when the father says, your brother has returned, it is responded to this son of yours in the mouth of the older brother, not my brother has returned. The family is dysfunctional. It happens in families, in churches, and in professional therapy all the time. You get caught in the middle. When two sides are at war with one another, who refuse to acknowledge their mutual need for one another and choose to reduce everything down to the zero-sum game of winter winners and losers. Some are going to win and others are going to lose and I want to make sure that I come out on top. So you stack the deck. You bring others on board. You seek to get your way. And you will use others, even those you love and those that love you, to do your bidding for you, and you triangle them. The skill of the seasoned professional, then, is to detriangle yourself by getting the two opposing sides to talk to one another directly. Perhaps this is what the father is trying to do by asking the older brother to come into the party. Not because he's afraid the older brother's going to miss out on all the fun that's happening, but he simply believes that if this older brother can now see his younger brother restored back into the good graces of the family, that maybe it can rekindle their familiar bond that should be natural. But as the parable ends, we don't know what's going to happen. We're left on the curve 
of an unknown, a hope of what I wish for my, bro my, my sons, the brothers, to come back together. But before we compliment the generous nature of the father too much, we might also notice how he has laid himself open to the possibility of coddling the younger son far too much. Now, for those of you who are older siblings, I will not ask for a confession from you. But I wonder if this thought has approached your mind or heart when you've heard the story of the prodigal son in its fullness. Perhaps a line from your family system. You know, as you refer to the parent, you let him or her get away with everything. Sound familiar? And the older brother has a point. If you are never held accountable, then how are you ever going to learn responsibility? Yes, you can fill in that blank on your own. And again, in therapy, this trait of the father is known as codependency and happens when responsible parties don't live up to their need to set clear expectations and boundaries and appropriate limits, but will allow others, sometimes spouses or other children or people they work with, to push them around and have their own way, ultimately not being a benefit to themselves or to the ones that they care about, but even possibly pushing them into deeper and more dangerous habits and addictions. Think for a minute of the college admission scandal that we have read about recently in the news. What we might call the affirmative action of wealth and privilege. Where individuals are welcome into college campuses some of the most prestigious schools in the nation, not because they've earned their way, but because others have paid their way to be there. Some are suggesting that this dynamic they are finding in family systems in America could no longer be called helicopter parenting as it once was referred to a couple of decades ago, where parents hover around their children that are young adults, kind of waiting, wondering when they might need help, and then they scoop down with a rescue and bail their children out of whatever problems they may be encountering. No, what these social scientists are finding today is what they are calling bulldozing parenting, where parents plow through any barrier their kids might face. They intend to intimidate any authority seeking to challenge or hold their children accountable. And the end result are not confident kids believing in their own ability and capacity to meet any challenge, but highly selfish children who don't know what to do 
with the inevitable condition when someone finally tells them no. Well, I find help for some of these dynamics as we have taught through this time of Lent, through the helpful work of B'nai Brown. And today, in this Sunday, we are talking about developing gratitude over scarcity and fear. And in that chapter, Brown discusses drawing a distinction between joy and happiness. They are not the same thing. She suggests that happiness is circumstance-based. Good things happen, and you feel happy. And bad things happen, and you feel unhappy. And so the situations of life are like a roller coaster, like a yo-yo. It goes up and down, and so does your happiness. When things are good, I'm happy. When things are bad, I'm not happy. Sometimes you're a winner, and sometimes all it takes is a last-second shot. And there you are in the cellar of despondency. I'm not making any predictions. I'm not suggesting you have this on your mind. But if the steadiness of your emotional state goes up and down like a bouncing basketball, then perhaps you need to hear the words from 2 Corinthians. Don't look at things from completely a human point of view. As I remind my friends and myself, this is supposed to be fun. And if it ceases being fun, then what in the heck are we doing with something called sport? Brown says joy is something far, far deeper. It's about a spiritual connection that we cultivate that is greater than ourselves and draws us into healthy relationships with others. For Christians, it means responding positively to Jesus' invitation to develop a love relationship with God and out of that love relationship with God to be reconciled, to be new, to be transformed, and thereby being in new loving relationships with others. It is the call of salvation. And as we learned last summer, gratitude is a practice, not an attitude. You simply don't become more grateful by believing, well, I'll just try to remember to be more grateful. And Brown draws the distinction between people that perhaps have an attitude of positivity about yoga. Let's say you believe about yoga, well, this would be very helpful. I would increase my flexibility, my overall strength and stamina will increase, I'll be more relaxed, I'll be more calm. And you have an attitude of appreciation about yoga, but its benefits will never really be translated into your life unless you practice yoga. Set aside a time and a discipline and a training regimen by which you go through the paces and learn exactly how those benefits can impact your life. Gratitude. The same way. Not just something we feel, but something we live into, practice. Keeping a journal of things we're grateful for. Remembering at the end of the day to write down different parts of our life for which we are joyful. 
to find within our relationships the fabric of gratitude for the goodness of life and the love of God and the way in which I am in an environment of such incredible emotional wealth for churches and for families, putting into practice the good that is so readily available. So perhaps this is where the older brother is living in his own sense of lostness. While the younger brother found himself lost due to his leaving and destructive self-management, the older brother can be considered lost in his moralism and self-righteousness. Marisol Wolf says the older brother doesn't become lost because he goes out to the far country, but because he refuses to come into the house. His spatial distance was an outward sign of his inner exclusion. So, for example, we hear his attitude in the back half of the parable. Did you catch it? The older brother says, I've been working like a slave for you. But that's not true. He was the legitimate heir of two-thirds of the property's estate. So he wasn't working as a slave. He was working for his own interest. And the father's property, in his words, devoured by the younger brother, was, after all, the younger brother's share to do with, as perhaps he saw fit. And nowhere else in this story do we hear of the younger brother's salacious interactions with prostitutes. That's something that originates in the older brother's imagination. I saw a cartoon of Jesus coming back to the flock with the one lost sheep. Except the wayward and the now found bundle of living wool had been decorated with the rainbow colors of the LGBTQIA movement. The 99 looked at Jesus and said, he wasn't lost, we threw him out. The older brother is exhibit A in choosing scarcity and fear over gratitude and love. My favorite theologian, Jürgen Bultmann, writes in his book, Trinity and the Kingdom, a perspective that perhaps anticipates B'nai Brown. He suggests that instead of talking about unconditional love, it may be more helpful for us today as Christians to talk about vulnerable love. That unconditional love speaks too much of a love that's easy or too easy and too convenient, a laissez-faire. But vulnerable love still captures the understanding of unconditional acceptance, but reminds us that it comes with risk and danger. That what we are being invited to realize as we walk with Jesus to Holy Week is that God offers us 
Not merely unconditional love that costs nothing, but vulnerable love that costs everything. That this ability to love doesn't solve the dysfunction in our families or in our churches. But it begins to unravel the dysfunction that is within our own selves. That vulnerable love is risky and dangerous and beautiful and true. And it is this love that we are invited to share with all of its possibilities and with all of its pitfalls because we choose to love and that we will commit ourselves to love. And we will always seek help and wholeness for those that we love, but we recognize that oftentimes that will not be reciprocated. And that to love is, makes us vulnerable Vulnerable to the ways in which we might get hurt, but also in that hurt comes incredible learning and healing and strength and overall long-suffering grace. That is the love we celebrate at Easter. It is the love I believe the Father is trying desperately to offer his wayward sons. And so when he says to come home, he's not merely meaning a zip code. He's meaning a restored relationship. This is a love that asks us to be humble. A love that asks us to be patient. A love that doesn't keep score. A love that's not always trying to figure out who's in and who's out. A love that doesn't measure my worth by how I am being treated. But a love that is always there like a living stream in the desert that has a deep well that we can always return to again and again and again. It is this love. We are asked to live in and to celebrate when we go to the party. Our final hymn, 829, is a time for us to respond in faith and grace to the goodness and love that God has given to us I ask that as you sing it, you will respond with the joy in your heart as we stand to sing hymn 829. Let us stand and sing.
As you, before you leave this morning, I want to let you know of a few announcements. First, Kate Campbell, who is an excellent singer-songwriter, is holding a concert here at Central Baptist Church on May 5th. Uh, she will also sing in that morning's worship service. Uh, Aaron Austin is working on some more information about how you can buy tickets and invite other people to that. But go ahead and save the date, May 5th concert that evening, uh, Kate Campbell. Uh, with Fayette County and other surrounding counties uh, being on spring break, there is no Wednesday evening activities, uh, no meal, no youth group. Uh, the youth are going to do a fun day instead uh, during the week. But so many people are in and out traveling, so um, we will resume a week after Wednesday. Also on your way out, stop by the sign-up table. We need help with Habitat for Humanity, either with preparing lunches for three separate Fridays and Saturdays the, uh, in May, April and May, or you can help out by uh, painting and doing some trim work and some interior work on the house uh, later in this month. So. All right, now receive these words of benediction. As you go from this place, may you carry the message of God's abundant love to the ends of the earth. And may you always know that you are worthy of that same love. Go now in peace. Amen.